Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Last week, we finished studying the lifting up of Christ's people, that is, our exaltation in both soul and body, the exaltation of creation, the exaltation of our communion with God. And if you're like me, and as some of you mentioned this to me, at the, when, you, when you hear those beautiful and precious truths, maybe your response was, okay, take me now. <laughs> I'm ready. Game over. Let's go. <laughs> but until that time, when the Lord lifts us up, we have to be good soldiers, don't we? We have to be good pilgrims and good servants. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That is our duty. But there is another duty which we have, which we will study this morning, especially in verse 7. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, picking up in the middle of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. In verse 7, which we're going to study, we see both a command and a cause. The command is to cast your cares upon God, and the cause is because, because he cares for us. So until we are lifted up, our duty is to humble ourselves, but our duty is also to cast our anxieties or our cares upon God. What does this mean? How can we do it? Our outline will have three main points. In the first place, <clears throat> point number one is occupied and preoccupied. Peter says that we cast anxieties on God. What are anxieties? Well, earlier this year when we focused on anxiety, we said that many things go by that name, and they have different causes, and therefore they have different remedies. The term anxiety can mean so many different things that it's often a, not a helpful term to use, but it's the term that Peter uses here. What does he mean when he says anxiety? What is it I'm supposed to cast upon God, and to put it simply, we could say that anxieties in this context are things that occupy our time or preoccupy our mind. Anxieties are things that occupy your time and preoccupy your mind. Sometimes those two things are one and the same, but not always. There are things that occupy our time, but they don't preoccupy our minds, like our normal work and our tasks, they, they fill our time. We do them, but we're not particularly worried or anxious about them. They occupy our time, but not our minds. There are other things that preoccupy your mind, but they don't occupy your time, such as worrying about what might happen in a given situation. You're not actually doing anything. You're not passing through time, but your mind is preoccupied with what is possible, what is potential, what is future, what could happen or might happen, and so on and so forth. 
So there are things that preoccupy us, but don't occupy us. And then there are things that both occupy our time and preoccupy our minds. Sometimes work gets really busy. Sometimes things go wrong at work. Sometimes things in the family are difficult. Uh, there are a lot of things that we have to dedicate our time to, and they preoccupy us. They worry us. They cause anxiety and stress. Uh, if someone in the family is sick and you're taking care of them and you're worried about them, your time is occupied and you're preoccupied for them. Uh, if something's gone wrong with your business, you need to work harder. Or in the a season such as this, many businesses are busier, so their time is more occupied and they're more preoccupied with fulfilling orders and satisfying customers. Now, to confirm that this is uh, a decent definition of what Peter means when he says anxieties, I just want to, to read from two verses to you. You can write those down. It's one verse at a time, so I won't ask you to turn there. The first is from Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22, which is the parable of the sower and the seeds. And as Jesus is explaining the different kinds of seeds that are sown and the different responses they have to the word of God, he, he says this in verse 22. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the word, world, excuse me, the cares of of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares, that's the same word. The things of this life, the things of this world that so distract and occupy that person and preoccupy that person that the word is not really heard by them. The word comes to them, but they're so occupied and preoccupied with the cares of the world that they don't hear, they don't listen. It bears no fruit the cares of the world. Uh, but here's a, a different example that uses the same word. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28, as Paul expresses to the Corinthians the many things that he must do and the many things that are on his mind, the, the load of an apostle. And Paul says this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says he has anxiety for all the churches. Other translations might say care. He has care for all the churches. What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is, is often describes himself as a, a father figure or at times a mother figure to the churches. In his missionary journeys, he goes from place to place and he plants churches as people hear the gospel and respond to it. And then he spends as much time as he can building up that church in a given city. And then he has to move on and leave those churches behind. And we read from his various letters, I remember you constantly, or I remember you always in my prayers. Paul was like a father or a mother. He was anxious for his children. He was preoccupied with his care for all of the churches that he had planted for the Christians in those churches. Paul describes it as his anxiety for all the churches. It occupies his time when he's there, but even when he's not there, it preoccupies his mind as he has a certain worry and care and concern for their well-being. And he writes to them, I've heard that you're straying. I've heard that you have this problem. Let me help you. Let me reinforce you. Or would you please, for the love of all that is good and holy, stop doing what you're doing? Paul was anxious for the churches. 
So cares and anxieties are things that we're busy doing, the cares of the world, or things that fill our minds. Paul's anxiety for the churches. Anxieties are not necessarily sinful. Therefore, they can be. But things that occupy our time and preoccupy our mind, which we often call anxiety, though that word means other things too, they're not necessarily sinful. They can be uh, the normal things of life, or they can be difficult seasons of life, and so on and so forth. But some of the things that occupy our time the most and preoccupy our minds the most are afflictions. Afflictions and difficulties, which is what Peter has been talking about when he speaks of the mighty hand of God. And Peter casts us to, or casts us, he commands us to cast these anxieties on God. The things that occupy our time, cast them on God. The things that preoccupy our minds, cast them on God, he says. So what are the anxieties that I cast on God? The things that I need to do and that I am doing. The things that I'm worried about and that are giving me anxiety in my mind. I need to cast them upon God. The things that occupy my time and preoccupy my mind. How do we cast them on God? That brings us to our second point. Secondly, and the title of this point is Faith, Prayer, and Proactivity. Faith, Prayer, and Proactivity. Here we are concerned with what is our duty, the things that we must do. The beginning of casting your cares upon God is exercising the grace of faith. You must believe. Faith is not something passive. Faith is something active that you exercise. So what is it that you need to believe in order to cast your anxieties on God? You need to believe that when God permits or sends afflictions in your life, it's never done in vain or by accident, but rather that it's wise and purposeful. It's not the end, but a means to an end. You need to believe that. And when you exercise your faith and you believe that these anxieties or these cares are not sent in vain, but rather that God can and does use them to sanctify you and to bring about good ends, when you believe that, you're casting your cares on him because you say, he has a wise purpose in this. I believe that he is working in and through this. I believe that he loves me in and through this. You see, by faith, you're reorienting your personal experience of this affliction or difficulty into a God-centered or a God-word perspective. He I believe what he has said about these things. I believe who God is. You need to believe and exercise your faith that God can lift you up in this life. There is a partial lifting up in this life, and you need to believe that, and you need to believe that if it is God's will, he will lift you up. And combined with this or beyond it, you need to exercise faith and believe 
that at the end of this life, he will lift you up completely. And so in this way, you're casting your anxieties upon him because you believe he can lift me up. He can lift me up. And you're also believing, and he will most certainly lift me up at the end of this life. If it is his will, he will lift me up in this life from this affliction, from this anxiety. And I know for certain that it is his will that he will lift me up at the end of my life. Again, by believing these things, by exercising your faith, you are casting your cares upon God because your anxieties and afflictions are now revolving around him or centered on God and his wisdom and his plans. This means that no Christian should ever despair, but rather we ought to believe God's promises. We ought to believe his power. We ought to believe in his wisdom and his love and his providence. We ought not to despair. We should be like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Verses 49 and 50, who said, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. The psalmist is reminded of God's word that gives him hope. It comforts him in his, in his affliction, the promise of life. And so you have to believe that. The psalmist is remembering and believing God's word, we need to exercise faith and believe in it, and in so doing, we cast our cares upon God. But now, believing, exercising the grace of faith, we get on our knees and we pray. To cast your cares on God is not simply to have a believing perspective of your anxieties, but it's also to do some casting. The word cast here is the same word that's used when Jesus was entering Jerusalem and garments were cast upon the donkey. Throw, drape, put, place, upon. We cast our cares, we drape them, we, we toss them, we, we throw them upon God. So in casting our cares upon him, for what do we pray? We, asked, we said we must believe, what should we, be, what should we believe? And we walked through that. We ought to pray for what should we pray? Well, we pray that he will lift us up from our affliction because we believe that he can. Lift me up from the pit. Remember the, the question in Ecclesiastes, who can make straight what God has made crooked? We pray, Lord, make straight that which only you can make straight. Realign what you have permitted to be bent, because I cannot mend it. We pray, lift us up from our afflictions, bless us, prosper us. But together with this, we pray that God will empower and enable us to endure all those afflictions that it is his will not to remove. Lord, lift me up from this affliction or lift this affliction up from me. But if it is your will that this remain, enable me, empower me to endure this, to bear it well. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours 
be done. And you realize when we do that, we're humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. When you say, give me patience and contentment and submission and give me strength to endure all those afflictions that you have ordained not to remove from me, we are humbling ourselves and we are casting our cares upon him. If you want to know how to do that in more detail, then I suggest reading the Psalms where we see what some have called godly complaints. Christians should not complain. Complaining is not something that we could do, but a godly complaint is to, to, bring, to, to make your petition know, to say, this, this is the problem that I'm facing, to, to bring our cares and concerns before God, not complaining in terms of questioning or moaning and groaning about God's providence, but rather bringing our cares and concerns to him. The psalmists often do that. They often say, this is what's happening in my life. And they ask questions too. But they ask in such a way that they are ready to receive an answer, whatever that answer may be. So casting our cares on God means praying honestly and openly, expressing ourselves to God, and also entrusting ourselves to him. Speaking openly, speaking plainly to our heavenly father. The Apostle Paul prescribed prayer as a remedy for anxiety in that well-known passage of Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, where he says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. And what follows from prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace knowing I have voiced my prayer, I have cast my care, and I've cast it on him. I'm not shouting into the void. I'm not screaming into the nothing. I am casting my cares upon him. He knows and he sees and he loves me. Let your requests be made known, Paul says. Peter says, cast your cares upon God. And notice an important word with me in verse 7 of our text. Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him. In an unqualified, general way, cast all your anxieties on him. When someone's in a position of authority or supervision, they usually dislike it when people bring every last little thing to their attention. Because the point of being in that position is that other people handle those little things and you tend to handle the bigger things or you make sure that the other people handle the smaller things. Parents want children to handle their own problems. Presidents don't actually care about the everyday concerns of Americans. But we're not praying to a manager. And we're not praying to an earthly parent. And we're not praying to a president. We're praying to God. Peter tells us, cast all your cares on him. Why? Not just because he cares for us, which we'll get to, 
but also because he can receive all your cares. He is able. God is never overwhelmed. He's never even whelmed. God does not have capacity limits. There are a lot of letters headed for the North Pole around this time. And they're all going to nothing and no one. And even if there were a something and a someone, they couldn't receive all that. I remember reading an article some years ago entitled something like, I couldn't find it again, in defense of Aunt Marge's big toe. (laughs) That's gross. Uh, But the article was saying, when you deal with children in Sunday school or, or elementary school, in a Christian context, and you ask them for prayer requests, uh, little children will often bring forward as a prayer request the most inconsequential little tiny thing there is. Because, well, could we pray for my Aunt Marge? Her big toe hurt. She stubbed it. And you think, uh, are we really going to bring this before the throne of grace? You know, And it was in defense of Aunt Marge's big toe because it was saying, don't think like humans to humans, think in terms of the greatness of God and his love for us and cast all your cares upon him. Bring all those things to him. Now, in our prayer meeting, we as humans don't have time to go through every last little thing necessarily, but we ourselves individually can cast all our cares on him. He will not dismiss and say, that doesn't merit my attention. That doesn't rate my concern. He won't say, sorry, I'm too busy. He won't say, really, that's what's worrying you? Peter says, cast all your cares on him. He will not dismiss your anxieties, however great or small they may be, or however great or small they may seem to us. The donkey on which Jesus rode could only handle so many garments being cast on it and only one person to ride. If everyone comes to talk to me after church or during, the, during lunchtime, I can't hear or respond to everyone at once. But God is God. Thank God. Be encouraged that your heavenly Father will hear all your cares, great and small, all your anxieties, all those things that occupy your time and preoccupy your mind, which is another encouragement to regular prayer throughout the day. Something's happening, you can pray for it then. It's, but it's so small. Yes, we're talking about God. He's so great. To cast our cares on God is to exercise faith about how God relates to our anxieties. He is powerful. He is wise. He is loving. It's to send our cares and concerns purposefully to him to cast them upon him, to pray to him, to make our requests known. We attach sails to our petitions and we send them over the sea of prayer. And we humbly accept his will in our prayer. We express and entrust ourselves to God. But to cast our cares upon him is also, it's not just faith and prayer, it's also proactivity or diligence. Casting our cares on God sounds a bit like sending a letter and watching it go. 
well, I put it in the mailbox and it, it's gone. And then you sit back and you wait to see what happens. But that's not an appropriate way of thinking about casting our cares upon God. If our anxieties are things that occupy our time and preoccupy our minds, there's going to be many of them. And we cannot simply ignore or avoid such things, no matter how much we may pray about them. The best thing to do is to be proactive in facing the afflictions of this life, one thing at a time, one day at a time, sufficient unto each day is the evil thereof. And in our diligence, in our, our proactivity of facing these afflictions and these difficulties, we pray that God will bless us, believing that he can bless us, and believing that we can abound and suffer through Christ who strengthens us. So casting our cares on God is not an excuse to be idle. Rather, casting our cares on God should make us all the more diligent because we recognize that it's often in and through our diligence that God removes our afflictions or lifts us up. Our duty is to be proactive and diligent in those things that preoccupy our time or that occupy our time. Our duty is to be proactive and diligent in those things that preoccupy our minds. I'm so worried about such and such. What are you doing about it? Well, I'm really stressed about such and such. What are you doing about it? Well, we must be proactive and we must be diligent. And in those matters where we truly have no duty or control or nothing that, that it is ours on our part to do, then yes, there are those situations where, where we, we do sit and wait and pray. If, if you're outside an operating room, you don't say, well, it's my job to proactively go in there and do the operation. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's the doctor's job. Your job at that point is to just sit and pray. And there are times where all you can do is say, I've done my duty. I've done all that I can do and I'm supposed to do. And then I do sit and wait. But that's after you've done all that is your duty. No one should be idle or inactive as a result of this. Why aren't you handling these problems in your life? Oh, I cast my cares upon God. That's not how this works. We need to believe, we need to pray, and we need to be proactive and diligent. In due time, at the right time, he will lift us up. Casting your cares on God means exercising your faith, not despairing. It means praying, not demanding. And it means being proactive, not idle. Thirdly and lastly, God cares for you. God cares for you. We said at the beginning there's a command and a cause. We've studied the command, cast your cares. Believe, pray, be active. Peter gives us a reason, because, by cause of which, because he cares for you. Why should I cast my cares upon him? Because he cares for me. If you ever ask the question, what is God's relation to me? Or what am I to God? You need to know, brother and sister, that you matter to God, that you're important 
to God. He cares for you, the scriptures say. But there are some who struggle to believe that. Why? One of the reasons is because they see that God sends them afflictions or permits affliction in their lives. If the mighty hand of God brings me low, it doesn't seem like he cares that much about me. But the problem that this person is experiencing is that they're only looking at the affliction and not the one who sent it. And that's like staring at a scalpel and not seeing the surgeon who's holding it. That scalpel hurts. That's going to cut me. You just stare at the blade and think, ooh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Yes, it's going to cut. Yes, it's going to hurt. But who's holding that scalpel? A surgeon who's certified and has practiced and has performed many a surgery before. They know what they're doing. And so if you just stare at the, at the blade, you'll think, this person wants to hurt me. This person is intending to cut my body, failing to see the bigger picture. This is not just any person. This is a surgeon. And this is a scalpel, not just any blade. It is all purposeful. I trust the surgeon. In fact, I appreciate what the surgeon is doing. And so if as a Christian we look at our Heavenly Father, or if we don't look at our Heavenly Father, but just at the afflictions that he's sending then we'll think he's, he doesn't care for me. If a teacher puts homework and quizzes and tests on your desk, and all you look at is the papers, the, the homework and the quizzes and the tests, you'd think, all this teacher does, all this teacher does is give me things to do, <laughs> is quiz me and test me and, and tell me things that I don't want to learn. All, that's all they do, it, because all you're thinking about is the difficulty of the lesson or the difficulty of the quiz or the difficulty of the test. But who gave them to you? A teacher who's teaching you. And so in order to believe and accept and enjoy the truth that God cares for you, you need to look past the afflictions that he sends to him, to God himself. The problem, it's so easy to be distracted by the afflictions. Would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 4? It's not just easy to be distracted by the afflictions. Sometimes it's difficult to look away from them. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. <clears throat> and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Look at verse 38. We have the same phrase from 1 Peter 5, or the same kind of, kind of phrase. Do you not care? Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares for you. But sometimes we're like the disciples in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care? Look at the wind. Look at the waves. Don't you see? Don't you know? And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They needed to better understand who was with them that was greater than the wind and greater than the waves. We cannot conclude from the afflictions that God sends or permits that he doesn't care for us, just as the disciples shouldn't have concluded from the wind and the waves that they were perishing or that Jesus didn't care. Do you not care? We see the same phrase in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. I'll read the verse to you. But Martha was distracted with much serving, occupied and preoccupied. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha sees Jesus not solving her problems, apparently not recognizing her problems from her perspective, and concludes he doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. The disciples see Jesus apparently aloof because he's sleeping, unaware of their problems. Don't you care? But Jesus used this to teach the, the disciples an important lesson and to teach Martha an important lesson. Mary has chosen the good part, he said. He answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus did care. She was just caring about the wrong things. Brothers and sisters, we should not conclude from our being brought low that our God does not care. Rather, by faith, we know that his humbling is purposeful. It's not neglect. It's paternal care. It's discipline and training. It's not disinterest. God cares for you. You matter to God. You're important to him. He cares for you. And knowing that he cares for you, this is Peter's whole argument, because he cares for you, we should be all the more motivated to cast our cares, our anxieties, our occupation and preoccupation upon him. But the best way to know for certain that God cares for you, that God cares for you, is that he chose you particularly and personally, and he gave you to his son. What did Jesus say in the Gospel of John? He talks about how my father has given me a people. And Jesus says, I know them. I know my sheep. And Jesus says, I laid down my life for the sheep that I know. And Jesus says, and I will not lose one of them. And Jesus says, on the last day, I will raise them up. Jesus knows you. He knows your name because the Father chose you. God chose you. You were given to the Son to redeem, and he died to redeem you. He shed his blood for you. He gave his body for you because he cares for you. And in Jesus Christ, you are chosen, forgiven, 
righteous, adopted, preserved in one of the Sunday school rooms, the, the one that the floor is all torn up because of mold and such things, there's a really nice poster that's lying down. It's not on the, on the wall, and it says, these are all the things you are in Christ, and it lists just all this wonderful description of, of who we are, and it reinforces and tells us we are chosen in Christ, forgiven in Christ, righteous in Christ, adopted in Christ, preserved in Christ. He cares for me. And because we're in Christ, we know that we're heard. When we cast our cares on God, he hears us for Jesus' sake and in his name. We're not praying to a statue. We're not shouting into the wind. We're not crying in the darkness. We're casting our cares on God who loves his son, who loves us in his son, and delights to hear us. And we can cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us in all our anxieties. We also know that God cares for us because he sent his Holy Spirit to apply that redemption to us, to dwell in us, to remind us that we are the children of God. God cares for you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You matter to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know that God cares for you because he will lift you up. He will lift you up in soul. He will lift you up in body. He will lift up the world around us. He will lift up and perfect and exalt our communion with him to the highest perfection of glory possible. And God himself will be our portion as we saw last week. So we ought to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. If he gives us the greatest gifts and exalts us to the highest heights and the greatest glories, why would we ever conclude that he doesn't care for us simply because he causes us to pass through certain afflictions on the way to that great glory and he causes us to pass through a humbling before that great lifting up? Brothers and sisters, God cares for you. He loves you. He sends me pain, but he sends and permits difficulty and loss. Why? Exercise your faith. Why? And pray to him. Do you sit there and grumble and complain to yourself? Or do you go to God with these things and humbly offer godly complaints? Lord, this is what I'm facing. Help me. He cares for you. Brothers and sisters, there are people who even, even when they care for you, sometimes they can't help you. I, I care, but I just can't. I'm not capable. Sometimes we're so occupied and preoccupied with taking care of ourselves or our families that we can't help someone else as much as we would like to. We are so limited but God cares for each and every one of us, and he is able to help us and lift us up. As we conclude this sermon, what we're actually doing is com concluding six sermons, which were on the subject of humility toward God. And if I can speak for myself for a moment, one of the things that has impacted me, uh, or I felt powerfully, 
was reminded of again is that when we studied in two sermons the height of our exaltation and our lifting up, the grandeur and glory of that exaltation made the depth of our humbling seem so very shallow. In our lifetime and in our experience, our humbling seems deep and deep and deep and deep and deep and deep. But however deep it may be, once we compare it to the greatness of our exaltation in Christ Jesus, they become incomparable, don't they? And that's how it should be. The greatness of our lifting up should overpower our humbling in our minds or in our hearts. We should be better equipped, therefore, and better prepared to bring our hearts low, to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, understanding that, relatively speaking, he's not bringing us all that low compared to how high he will take us. And we better understand God's mighty hand and that he cares for us and that he, we can cast our cares upon him when we understand there is a complete, perfect, final, and certain eternal lifting up that awaits us. In fact, that lifting up is so high and so certain that we can endure all afflictions here. Jesus has already passed through this sweep of humiliation to exaltation, decrescendo to crescendo. And his people have always done this before us. And there are no earthly afflictions that would tip the scales in the opposite direction to say, no, the depth of this humiliation, the depth of this pain or this illness or this deprivation, this cross or this loss, this affliction, this anxiety is so low and so profound that it is not worth passing through to get to that exaltation. There is no affliction that is lower than the exaltation is high. There's no one that, that would say this, this illness is just too much. I can't take it. I can't pass through this. It's not worth the glory afterwards. I will deny the faith and the God that has sent me this pain. For a few years of bodily pain, you would deny God who will give you an eternity of a perfect soul and body? There is nothing on this earth and nothing in this life whose suffering or pain could make the glory to come not worth waiting for. God's mighty hand will send or permit afflictions in your life to train you, to sanctify you, to prepare you in love and in wisdom. Our duty is to humble ourselves under that mighty hand. And as we humble ourselves, we can cast all our cares upon God because he cares for us. And at the right time, at the proper time, he will exalt us. He will lift us up because he cares for us. He loves you. God loves you. God will always love you. And nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
Our Father in heaven, we ask you to forgive us for all the times that we have stared at the afflictions and anxieties and concluded that you must not care for us. You must not be aware of how difficult or how painful our lives are. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for grumbling and complaining in our hearts instead of casting our cares upon you. Forgive us for being anxious and then being idle and inactive. Forgive us for being so immature, so short-sighted. Forgive us for all of the ways in which we have failed to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and have denied ourselves the peace which surpasses understanding because we have not cast our cares upon you. We pray that you would help us to grow, to exercise our faith, to give voice to our prayers and cast all our anxieties upon you. Help us to be diligent and proactive. And we pray that you would give us a greater sensation and, ex and experience, a greater knowledge and appreciation of your love for us, knowing that you care for us, remembering that you care for us, being reminded that you care for us. Wrap us in your everlasting arms and fill our hearts with joy and with warmth because of your everlasting love for us. We pray that you would do this for Jesus' sake and in his name.